0: This week on Dig Me Out... Well, yes, next they're track...
1: Way, they're way more informed than we are,
0: That's yeah. basically what he's saying, yes. <laughs> he's like, we don't pay attention. That's not a secret. Tim and
1: Jay Review, Psalm 69 by Ministry.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Manici, and joining me for episode... 163 of season four. My trusty sidekick, Mr. Jason Ziak. Tonto? <laughs> I was
1: say trusty sidekick. I don't know. <laughs> I guess try, so.
0: Try to change it up every week. I'll
1: take that, I guess.
0: Okay, cool. I don't want to be
1: fully responsible for this mess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Jay, you know, the last uh, season and then in the beginning of the season, we've had a, a number of people. Uh, generous uh, with us and have sent us a few dollars and have picked out albums for us to review and a lot of them are bands that we were completely unfamiliar with. Uh, this week, we're going with a band that I think you and I are somewhat familiar with and that band is Ministry, correct? Yes. As we as we like to do from time to time, it's good to get the person who suggested the album on the, on the line with us because uh, we want to know the reasoning behind you know, their picks. We had people in the past pick things because they thought, you know, this is a really interesting album that didn't get enough publicity and and it deserves some more attention. And then people pick albums because this is their favorite band and they want to hear what we have to say about it um, for some reason. And uh, Some
1: people pick albums just to torture us.
0: Some people pick albums just to torture <laughs> us <laughs> and hear us uh, contort our, uh, our opinions in ways that did not be completely uh, negative. But in this case... Um, we're, we're going to go with one of the bands that I think is probably one of the more definitive bands of the 90s, and that's Ministry, and their probably most definitive album, which is Psalm 69, to help us check this album out, get into the band, is uh, joining us from the Redding, from Reading in the UK. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Mr. Matthew Slightholm, or is it just Matt? Is Matt fine?
2: Matt's fine, yeah. All right. Fine, yeah.
0: Thanks for joining us, Matt. Uh, you're welcome. So, Ministry... Um, This is your, I think this is your third pick overall. I think you gave us the Symposium album last year, is that right? That's right, yep. And then uh, we just did Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. That was our last week's episode. And uh, we're going off in a different direction with Ministry. Uh, This is, I guess you'd say, one of the most well-known industrial bands, if not the most well-known industrial band of the 90s. Is that fair to say, guys? Well,
1: I think Nine Inch Nails was pretty well known, but
0: well, we'll get into that because <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the argument that Nine Inch Nails is not an industrial band, but
1: okay, everybody stay tuned for that one.
0: Stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask Matt, Matt, how did you discover uh, Ministry? Was it in the '80s with their earlier synth pop sounds, or was it uh, in the
2: '90s with albums like this? No, it was definitely the '90s. So it would have probably been around a friend's house who um, had things like uh, the Land of Rape and Honey and mind is a terrible things taste and then this album as you kind of say was more their breakthrough album and a bit more i guess available to most audiences
0: and were you into like industrial as a whole or did you just sort of focus in on this band i'm thinking of bands you know there are other bands like killing joke um and skinny pop yeah those sorts of bands where did you after discovering ministry or were you already familiar with those
2: bands and then discover ministry how did that work No, probably Ministry was the first of that type and then, so Ministry, Nine Inch Nails kind of early Marilyn Manson as well, I guess and then from there uh, I guess Ministry is one of those bands that got me into heavier parts of music so from there I'd go into things like Sepultura and Nail Balm and stuff like that, Fudge Tunnel but you'll kind of see with my other two picks I'm probably more lighter rock and things like that normally, so, you know Therapy I'd probably say is my favourite band but you've already done them anyway uh, things like the god machine and stuff like that as well
0: oh yeah, god machine from the first season that, mm. was an, that was an interesting one and uh yeah we did therapy last year very cool band uh jay and i uh, both enjoyed them was it last year or was it two years ago i can't remember oh anymore. i think
1: it was two
0: years ago i think oh wow i think you're right yeah it was a while ago it was two seasons ago wow it's all bleeding together now so you mentioned about, about Nine Inch Nails. So just as a quick aside, I was you know thinking about this, about the industrial genre. I think, I think Nine Inch Nails sort of transcends industrial. I think they have industrial elements. But like if you listen to, I think, when you, once you get into um, the downward spiral or post-downward spiral, they turn into really more of an alternative band. And in, in some aspects, downward spiral, spiral is an alternative album more so than just an industrial album. They just have certain songs which have industrial sounds, but like you can't take a song like "Hurt" and tell me that's an industrial song. I mean, that's that's closer to more alternative music from the '90s than any industrial bands. Um, And then going after that, you know, the last couple releases, whether it's the one that just came out or with Teeth or Year Zero. I mean, again, I think those albums sound way more just like alternative music with you know heavy drum loops and. Whatnot, rather than comparing it to like this, comparing it to Ministry um, and songs like TV Two or you know, yeah.
1: Well, no I think of... um Nine Snails can write. He can write pretty music, right? And that's the difference between <laughs> what what he's capable of and just industrial music, which is you know not the intent of industrial music is not to be pretty or beautiful or you know what I mean, right. The aesthetic is the complete opposite. So he's capable of that. I think the he is stayed. I think he stayed remarkably true to the, I guess the ingredients that he uses to make his music. He's just able to diversify in terms of the types of songs he writes. So I guess you could you could uh, split hairs over you know his industrial just the approach, like the production approach and the instrumentation, or is it that combined with. You know, an aesthetic and attitude. I would say it's probably both. And so, I guess if you, the songwriting aspect, I think you're right in terms of you know he's diverged quite a bit to be able to do things that are you know either more accessible or not just you know angry or ugly or you know that kind of thing.
2: I'd agree with Jay because I think uh, there's definitely it's gone more electronic, dancey in the last few albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, he's done things through soundtrack stuff with um, the Social Network, and I think he's got another soundtrack coming up as well. Um, but I don't think you could use Hurt as the sole definition of why he has to be alternative. Because then you're basically saying, no, no industrial band could ever do a ballad. I think there's a lot of background and compression in the, the vocals behind Hurt as well. And then the kind of subject matter of what it is.
0: Well, it's almost an emo song <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you get into the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is not a show about Spanish Nails. We should talk about ministry and specifically we should probably touch on some history of the band.
2: History of the band.
0: Um, So Ministry has a huge history, so I'm not going to actually cover everything. I'm just going to sort of gloss over and then we'll get to some stuff afterwards. Ministry formed in 1981 by Al Jorgensen in Chicago, Illinois. Originally, they were just a new wave synth pop band and they started to incorporate heavier riffs in the late 80s the album we're reviewing, Psalm 69, ended up being their most successful album. It was released in 1992. Uh, they ended up touring Lollapalooza and sold, sell, selling over a million copies of Psalm 69. Now, I want to put that in perspective. So for the life of this album, it sold a million copies. Pearl Jam's Versus sold 900,000 copies the first week it was out. <laughs> so when we talk about you know, if a band's too big for us to review because we're supposed to be digging out more obscure stuff, I would not say that Ministry is necessarily in terms of mainstream approval and success um, on the same level of a Pearl Jam, even though they got played quite a bit on MTV and they sold a million records and blah, blah, blah. Because a million records in the 90s is not the same as a million records today in terms of album sales. And even though this album charted at number 27 and NWO, NWO uh, made it to number 11 as an alt-rock single... The follow-up album actually charted higher. Filth Pig charted at number 19 as an album in the United States, but it only sold 236,000 copies. So it was basically like the first week it was out, it charted really high, and then immediately dropped off. And um, probably because it's not as good a record as, uh, as this record. So people did not end up buying it as much. So over... Uh, the course of nineteen eighty one to two thousand thirteen, the album or the band released thirteen albums. There's been a lot of different members of this band. I'm not going to go through it all, but in nineteen or sorry two thousand eight, after twenty seven years, Jorgensen decided that he was going to end the band. But uh, of course, with all rock bands, he decided in two thousand eleven to reunite the band, uh, as a lot of nineties bands did in, in the late two thousands. Um, they started. They played the Wacked Open Air Festival in 2012, and then they released a new album in 2012 called Relapse, followed by a world, War, world tour. And in 2013, they re- released the album From Beer to Eternity, following the death of uh, longtime guitarist. I'm going to screw up his last name. Matthew, do you know how to say it? Ma- uh, Mike Sakia. No, no, yeah. Okay. Would- so. Interesting story behind... He played with some other bands, including uh, Revolting Cox and uh, Rigor Mortis. And on December 23rd, 2012, at the Rail Club in Fort Worth, Texas, he was p- performing as a part of the 50th birthday for Bruce Corbett, who was the singer for Rigor Mortis. He collapsed on stage and died that Sunday morning at a local hospital. Uh, initial reports thought it was a seizure, but it was a heart attack brought on by heart disease, and he was 47 years old. So that pretty much ended Ministry at that point. Jurgensen decided he did not want to go on as a touring entity. So that is the sort of condensed history of uh, Ministry. Again, I only really covered the primary stuff, which is Sub 69, which actually has a subtitle, which is The Way to Succeed and The Way to Suck Eggs, which is a quote from uh, Alistair Crowley. There's also then a second title to the album, which I cannot pronounce, but is a Greek word meaning head because the way to succeed and the way to suck eggs is to is a uh, play on words involving a sexual position known as 69. You can figure that out on your own out there.
1: Alright, right, so why on Spotify is it K-E yeah. asterisk A asterisk H asterisk asterisk? Because that
0: is the Greek word for head.
1: Okay. Makes it really difficult to
0: <laughs> find
1: this record if you're trying to find it. I know I they know. were not marketing geniuses.
0: No, I don't think they were going for that. Uh, math, anything to uh, add to that history?
2: No, I think uh, it might it might have been the first album that Mike was on, actually, Mikey. Yes, uh, so I think that's probably pretty relevant. And it sounds like from I've just read Al Urganson's biography, it sounds like he and Mike were pretty close all the way through it. There's clear divisions in kind of Al's view of the band and from what you get from some of the documentaries like fix and Paul Barker's view of the band. So I, I think there's some, uh, interesting backstory there that we'll probably never find out.
0: And of course, uh, like Matt, if you want to suggest an album for us to review, head out over to dig to our request or review page. So we got some Facebook feedback, uh, on this record. Brandon Trammell said, excellent choice. Ministry was one of those bands that seemed to bring together all kinds of folks—metalheads, skaters, goths, punks. They all dug this band. It's hard to say if this is their best record. The mind is a terrible taste. Terrible thing to taste is also a complete killer. But Psalm 69 is no slouch. Industrial really isn't my thing, but those riffs tug at my teenage heartstrings and remind me of playing along on busted ass, playing along on a busted ass squire in my bedroom. That's cool um scott russell Helgrom, a couple of comments oh my guys you have to go oh my god you guys have to go back and listen to with sympathy just once oh my god and then ministry generally hasn't aged well for me but this was and is my favorite of theirs and i still like it a ton tip james i thought you were (laughs) uh, uh, i thought you guys reviewed overlooked albums this was pretty big i thought maybe not embraced by the mainstream radio but the videos made it made for it were on headbangers ball a lot that's true they were a Headbangers as well, but I consider those specialty shows to be a little bit outside of the mainstream. That's why they're on the specialty shows. Same thing with like 120 minutes. You know, a lot of bands never made it off of 120 minutes into mainstream rotation, so I consider that, you know, sort of fair territory for us to explore. Uh, Gavin Reed, Jesus Built My Hot Rod is probably probably my favorite song of the 90s. Blew my mind, then still does today. Far and away their best and most consistent album, but still tough to get through in one sitting. Interesting. And then, oh, it's Matt. Still one of my favorite album, ministry albums. A band that created and owned their own genre. We have a lot to thank them for.
2: What did you mean by that, Matt? What do we have to thank them for? So I think um, you see a lot of influence. I think uh, Fear Factory and Demanufacture, that album, there's a lot of similar kind of sounds, that kind of industrial, as if you're in a factory-type noise, um, the kind of echo and, you know, like a big space-type sound of things, and the way riffs kind of changed. And I think you saw that a lot with things like Nail Bomb as well. It's that collaboration that the guys from Sepultura and Fudge Tunnel did. I think if you think back to what we were just saying about Nine Inch Nails and the way he kind of changed to more electronica, um, I know that Trent was with Al for some of this album around that time frame as well. I'm sure there's some influencing there, but with the way Ministry and Nine Inch Nails have both opened up and kind of changed throughout their careers and adapted their sounds or what they wanted to do, then I think it's probably opened up a lot of things like some kind of um, the electro kind of sound of Crystal Castles or Enter Shikari, that kind of stuff kind of made that more tolerable or more available to people that you wouldn't have had if there wasn't that kind of crossover audience.
0: Well, that's a good segue uh, for us to actually get into the record itself. Um, it's a short one. It's only nine songs. One of the sh- shorter albums of the 90s we've re- ever reviewed. Uh, more of a... In terms of a length. You know, we talk about the 70s albums that were like six or seven songs long. Um, but it's also still 45 minutes. There's a, quite a bit of tracks that are... Uh, I, there's one song that's three minutes. Everything else is four and over. Or two songs are three minutes. But let's go into track one. Uh, NWO. It's the lead track. I think it's the key track for me on the entire record. Uh, it sort of sets the stage for everything that you need to know about this record. That pounding machine metal riff that starts that song. In terms of you know calling it industrial and, and in terms of metal and stuff like that, I don't know that there's a, b- a better band in terms of like replicating the actual sound of like machinery as a percussion instrument than ministry. Um, they do such a good job. And I, the thing that I was amazed with, you know, especially when I put on headphones and, and listen to this, is I don't feel like the sound quality has deteriorated in terms of, I feel like electronic instruments, you can hear their age a lot when you're going back and listening to records that it feature like electronic drums or keyboards or stuff stuff like that. You can sort of hear like, oh, that's that's an outdated keyboard part or an outdated drum loop. You can hear um, the
1: lim- limitations of the technology of the time.
0: Exactly. And to me, this sounds a lot more, even though I know it's not, it sounds a lot more organic. Um, what did you guys think going back and listening to the record starting out?
1: I'll, I'll just throw in, I think, building off of, of Matt's um, observation of how influential this was. You know, I, I definitely, I thought of it, you know, in my mind that way, and it was just reaffirmed as I re-listened to it. Um, the way that I think of this record I do remember it bringing a lot of people together. So, you know, in high school, I was, I was sort of a jock, but I was also an art student. So I had a good mix of friends. Um, and I was also, you know, trying to play in bands and stuff. So I sort of was a unique um, position to be friends with a lot of different people. Um, and this was definitely one of those bands that kind of crossed lines in a w- weird way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I became aware of ministry and Nine Inch Nails and industrial music. Um, So to me, um, you know, sort of hearing this music through my friends uh, when I heard this record and specifically a a song like NWO, the thing that was different for me was uh, suddenly they they started to sound like a rock band. I think prior to this, they may have some guitars mixed in the album before this, but it was still very much in a, I guess, a more electronic, um, pure electronic sort of aesthetic and format. But I think um, on this record, they start to take a turn, especially with the with how big um, a role the guitars play in this, but also just in how the sort of the like the programming for the, for the sequences and stuff and the drum machines is done. So, for example, on NWO, you know, there's this double bass, you know, kick drum uh, blast at the beginning of the song, you know, throughout the intro, um, you know, that comes out of metal music. And that's something that, you know, when you mix it up with the guitar, it sounds like you know, it could almost be like a Metallica riff,
0: but right.
1: obviously, you know, it goes in a bunch of different other places that are more, um, I think, akin to industrial music with the, you know, the amount of sampling going on and you know, bringing George Bush quotes in and um, just various different you know little effects and stuff and um, the the super compressed vocal, um, really gravelly and kind of distant. Um, so, you know, the, the my impression of, 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 this band at this time is, is kind of, um, summed up in this song in, in a lot of ways. It's taking that industrial background and, and merging it with, um, sort of a, a rock, rock or metal aesthetic.
2: Matt, what about um, you? Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, it's probably the first album where Al's vocals are a lot clearer, even though they're more distorted. So you can actually kind of hear it a lot more, a lot more clearly. I think the drive through um, that percussive kind of rhythm um, is pretty heavy and kind of sets up the album. Uh, and you really start to notice things like the loop. It's a loop without it getting annoying, like a you know an irritating song in your head. It's just that it's that driving force of that loop and that coming round and that riff crashing through. I think really.
0: Well, I think one of the things that um, he's able to do with the the loops is that what Jay was mentioning with like having a Metallica double bass sound is like. If you weren't paying attention, you'd almost think oh, that might be just a really kick ass drummer. Like, even though you know in your head, like, it's too perfect and it's too, you know, on the, you know, everything's moving in, in a, in a machine like way. But I think for the most part, uh, this song and the movie and the second song, Just One Fix, he, he does a good job of making the drums, even though they're a looped drum part, sound like an actual drummer. But just like a robot doing the drumming, like it's just it's just perfect. Whereas sometimes when you hear, you know, industrial or or any music that, that utilizes a a sequenced drum beat, you're like, well, yeah, there's no way the drummer's playing all those things because, or you'd have to have two drummers. It's like the friggin' Almond Brothers or something. You have two drummers <laughs> back there. Uh, <laughs> That's, that was one thing that I appreciated is that even though this is quote unquote industrial like you said this has a very strong foothold in, in metal music and especially like the thrash of, uh, of Metallica and, and Slayer and um, Megadeth and those bands um, that I don't think that some of the other bands, which I find interesting because well for one those bands didn't have mainstream breakthroughs Necessarily, I guess Metallica did in the 90s with the Black Album, but they actually toned down their metal side and became more of a a groove rock band in a lot of ways. You know, they slowed the tempo down. They they you know focused on the the bass you know the riffs with like songs like um, you know Enter Sandman and and some of those stuff off of Load and whatever. Whereas Ministry went in the opposite direction. They got those earlier. You know, Ride the Lightning and Kill 'Em All influences and combine them with their industrial sounds which funny is that when i think of industrial you know i think of there being some sort of keyboard aspect to it It, just because you know you think of industrial you think synthesizers and stuff like that but there's i i really had a hard time picking out a lot of that stuff going on in most of the songs it was really guitar driven which i guess being a kid that didn't grow up listening necessarily to a lot of industrial music and sort of listening to it in, in you know, reverse going back to a lot of this stuff um, my head was always around the fact that it was like evil keyboards not evil guitars that I was you know, scared to listen to when I was 15 years old. So I was like, oh that's, that's the music that kids who wear like black leather jackets listen to and have patches and stuff like that Well that's,
1: that's my point about I think the albums, Matt would know better, but I think the albums prior to this it is more about keyboards I mean the guitars like slowly work their way in, I think album, album over album, but when you get to this one, it's like, okay, now maybe it's the relationship that he that he made with the this guitarist, but they definitely become a huge part of what they're building the songs around as opposed to building them around a synth or building them around a drum machine. Might be a good segue to move into the next the song. But my, my biggest comment about just one fix is uh that guitar riff is enormous and, and when I revisited it now. Um I, I, I might be wrong here, but this is Ramstein. <laughs> like this is a yeah. band that like took this song and turned it into an entire career. Because I mean this the rift on what sounds like Hast, and which was their big breakout song right. and just the whole approach I mean, it's it's as if the band, you know, that band heard this song and said, "Well, shit, let's just make a whole band around this song and just keep writing songs like this." (laughs) Um, I don't know. I might be completely wrong, but they formed a couple years after this album came out, and boy, does
0: it sound similar. Matt, thoughts on just one fix?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, I think it's all about the riff, isn't it? I think uh, that riff and that repetition, and I I think it's the layers of the samples as well. With this album, uh, the the key difference for me with this album with the earlier ones is. Not just the how big the guitars are now, but it's also the the layers of sound with the different samples and different loops that are being brought in. So the earliest mm-hmm. earlier albums are definitely more metal, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not more metal, more uh, more electronic. Uh, and this is it's it's got that breadth now. Uh, and I think getting a play to drugs in a song is always good for your album sales as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one note I had on this was um, quote unquote. I guess this is what heroin withdrawal feels like. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the song I think that's what they're trying to get at am I uh, am I right there
2: yeah uh, I mean uh, certainly from the biography there, uh, him and Mikey were definitely well into their speed balls and doing all they could do to get the drugs as they wanted um, and then uh, the other half of the band weren't interested so they said that uh, Al and Mike recorded overnight and redid half the work that the other guys did during the day um, so how true any of that is, I don't know, because obviously it's Al's book. But yeah, it definitely sounds like it was, it was quite a dichotomy in the band.
1: How, how much of a band were they at this point? Because I always think of, I basically think of them as Al. Like, I don't really think of them as a band. I think of it as a one-man kind of thing that revolves people in and out. I mean, how much yeah, of a I, band were they at this
2: point? I'd agree with you. And in fact, looking at, um, I looked at the liner notes, uh, and they've got a picture of, uh, uh, oh, I think they only credit Al and Paul Barker. Um, hmm. as being ministry and then it says additional personnel with some of the other people. So even mm-hmm. at that point Mikey isn't considered part of the band. And in fact Mikey goes in and out of ministry throughout the later albums as well.
0: Well I mentioned the, the sort of the thrash influence that, that or or built upon it what, what Jay mentioned. Um, track three T V two, that to me is where you get like I guess the the most thrash. It has you know, that could be a suicidal tendency song. <laughs> In, in some aspects. Um, it's got this speed metal sort of uh, riff and and beat to it. This is not necessarily what I would consider, like, the area I want Ministry to go. I sort of like when they're in that, like, chugging, you know, up to mid-to-up-tempo mid kind of feel because I can kind of just, like, you know, get into... It almost becomes a, tri- a hypnotic trance on on songs like Just One Fix or NWO. But when they get into, like, this... It's like 200 beats per minute or something like that it's going to be ridiculous Um, I just feel like it's like somebody pushed the button on the tempo key on the keyboard it sounds like you're
1: fast forwarding an old cassette
0: yeah (laughs) it (laughs) does (laughs) sound like (laughs) yeah this is one of the songs I did not necessarily feel like it held up well because it, it it betrays the industrial the sort of the sound of the industrial you know looped drums more so than any of the other songs, where I'm just like, eh, yeah, that sounds like a machine. Well, it
1: does- yeah, I, I think uh, uh, this song is listening to it now is is genuinely comical to me. I mean, it's funny. I it was actually laughing, um, not only from the just the aspect of like how fast the drum machine's playing, <laughs> but um, you know when he gets to that those breaks and he and he right. does that super fast vocal and he yells, "Connect the goddamn dots." <laughs> I just started laughing. I don't know, It was just something like ridiculous about how over the top it was. The one thing I will note about it though, besides that, is that uh, it kind of has a surf guitar feel to it in a weird way. And I guess, I don't know, maybe there's not that much space between the guitar approach on surf guitar and speed metal in terms of you know what, what what's going on there in terms of the playing. It's just a more extreme version of that. But it's like there's some aspect of it when you speed it up that fast and you know you can only play basically i think you're probably only playing one string on the guitar like if you're playing that fast it's hard to play chords right um it kind of almost has a weird kind of surf guitar feel to it which i think in in with this song and then when we talk later with "Jesus, but my hot rod there's some kind of like the recognition potentially here of like early rock and roll um on this record that um obviously i don't think this band had ever you know really explored or touched on before so i think from that aspect that the song is significant to me on the record what do you think interesting
2: Matt? yeah i think uh this one and there's another kind of more instrumental one that is are the two songs that kind of grate on me a little if i listen back to the album now um and i think it is just because they stick out compared to the rest of the album um i can't remember what the other one is actually we'll probably work it out when we get there to go to the, what you're saying about the surf surf metal thing I think this thing about this album that has the ability to be both heavy and light at the same time uh, and I think you hear that through a, a couple of the songs and I think there's quite a lot of humor in the album as well so I think that comes across with a lot of the songs
0: well in terms of, of throwback sounds track 4 hero to me that sounds like a it has some like uh, new wave of British heavy metal feel to it in terms yep. of the in terms of the beat has like that Judas Priest maiden kind of thing going on. Um, that riff could be an
1: early maiden. Yeah. For uh, Judas Priest riff of that
0: era for sure. Right. Um, which again is, you know, this is, you know, in retrospect, you're able to pick out some of these influences a little bit more. Um, it's a bit more of a diverse record musically than maybe it appeared at first glance or on first listen. Um, you know, with you mentioning the, the, sort of Dick Dale surf guitar kind of thing going on and then this was like a you know a priest or maiden metal riff. I'm curious about um, what you guys think about the, I guess Jay, you mentioned about the sort of comical lyrical delivery in TV2 um, and Matt, you mentioned at the top how his vocals are a bit more clear on this record. I'll admit I had a really hard time understanding anything he was saying lyrically um, I ended up having to like look things up because his vocals are sort of distorted um not actually owning the record matt does he print the lyrics in the album liner notes no so when this record came out you basically had no way of telling what the lyrics were because it's not like there was a you know uh, a database of lyrics like there are now all over the web you can just type in you know lyrics for ministries nwo and you get 15 different sites that have what the lyrics are for that you know in 1992 it just it just didn't exist So I'm curious, like, are you able to discern what he's singing just based on listening?
2: Uh, I probably can now, but I've got pretty much every ministry album, so I'm used to it. um, Gotcha. I can't remember if I could originally. I would guess probably not. So there's there's probably key lines I would pick out of songs, and I probably know really well. I probably can tell you whole verses if I thought about it.
1: And this music's written for, like, I don't know. I felt like it was... Um, the time i discovered it probably the same time in your life matt you know you're in your you know sometime somewhere between maybe 12 and 18 you know and <laughs> raging hormones and it's just the energy of it and just the the rebellious nature of it it it, it, it lyrically like there's parts of it that'll stand out and be like yeah i get what he's saying man you know f the system and then there's other parts where it doesn't matter it's just all about the you know just the aggression and the the energy so I think the record kind of then for the most part their music kinda does that where you're like you get enough of the context of like, hey, he's talking about something important. That's cool. And then there's a bunch of, you know, lines where it's just like, uh, just you know, just screaming. Which is kind of, you know, how just a lot of thirteen year old boys feel. <laughs> well I only it I
0: only bring it up because, you know, this is nineteen ninety two, this is just after the Gulf War, and there's clearly a Influence of the the Bush for Bush one presidency and the Gulf War. I mean, this song is called Hero. It's referencing GI Joe and killing machines and mm-hmm. um, you know there's it's a very relevant record for the time in a way that a lot of bands were a bit more general in their I guess social and political critiques they weren't necessarily as blunt and as you know New World Order is a George Bush phrase.
1: I think there was a lot of, I don't know, my memory at the time was that there was a lot of metal and uh, punk and industrial music that was very, very, very political. Um, I think even more so then than it is now. I mean, I think it's it's almost impossible to find a metal record right now that has any political context other than occasionally Megadeth will say something. But, like, I feel like at the time, there was a ton. I mean, the Megadeth record is at the time... Um, this stuff, I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of it. Um, nuclear assault, there was a bunch of bands that were like talking about sort of late eighties politics and this kind of subject matter. I think it's actually, um, it didn't strike me strange at the time at all. I think the question is listening to it now for me, at least, but does it, is it still relevant? You know what I mean? Talking about sort of politics of that time, is it still relevant now listening back to it?
2: It's interesting, it's a theme that stuck through later ministry albums as well. So he, you know, uh, you said Bush 1, but he also spent a lot of time railing against Bush 2 as well. Uh, I know he's done a lot for trying to get people to register for voting and things like that. So he's one of the few people that I kind of know for that period of time that stayed with having a strong view on politics and wanting to have an impact. And I I think like Jay's saying, I can't think of many bands that do it now. You saying Megadeth, maybe me thinking, you know, Countdown to Extinction, uh, mm-hmm. Rust in Peace, or all those kind of end of the Cold War, you know, mm-hmm. what else do we have to worry about now? <laughs> that kind right. of
1: stuff. Right. Yeah. There was a whole like time of that. And then it's kind of interesting. I don't know. It's just a side subject. I, I feel like now, when there's plenty of political things to talk about, there's very little bands that do it. It's sort of like they'll get lost in like mythology or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, drug stuff or some other subject matter rather than dabble in you know current politics
0: well not to use this as an excuse to mention you know one of the bands we always talk about but i recently read an interview with nicky wire from man's Street preachers and he was saying how appalled he was that the the lead singer of mumford and sons basically said that they don't like want to talk about controversial things because it would hurt their audience like yeah like they're more comfortable just sort of writing sugary love songs with, you know, heartache and stuff like that because, you know, hey, we don't want to offend anybody. And he right. was like, You don't want to offend anybody? Like, why are you in why are you playing music? Like right. that is the he's like, that was that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, he said it in a much more eloquent and Nicky Wire kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it made me think about a band like uh, the Main Street Preachers who have written and Matt you could probably sort of speak more to this they have a they can play stadiums over in the UK you know they, they play the big festivals and stuff like that and yet they have written some incredibly political uh, lyrics up until the new record too I mean there are, there are political lyrics on the new record um, it doesn't seem like that that translates well to an American audience I other than you know some subgenres of like metal and stuff like that on a mainstream scale, I don't think political bands have ever made it in the United States. Rage Against the Machine probably be the only ones, and they had pretty much abandoned that by, you know, they made social commentary songs, but they were never like, they never attacked yeah. the president by name. You know what I mean? It was more about racism in general or in, economic inequality in general. It was yeah. never about naming names.
1: Well, now when like it's such a hot topic here and like that band doesn't exist anymore. You know they're pulled out of mothballs in some context you know either individually or as a band every now and then to sort of make an appearance but right it's like when there's actually i felt like in the 90s and at this time period like compared to now there was way less like the stuff that was going on really i mean at the time it seemed really important but now in the context of things it was kind of like compared to now it just seems i don't know so minor like i feel like there's so much more now to, to be writing about and you know, if there was a young ministry or a young Rage against the machine, like I don't know, it just seems it seems like there's way more like subject matter. But to the point of the uh, to Nikki Wire about you know the Mumford Sons guys, and that's the opinion that most people in pop uh, subscribe to. Like I don't want to I don't want to alienate anybody. Like I I need every fan I can get, and I don't want to ever say anything that's going to alienate anybody. So I'm just going to stay in the middle and just write love songs and make you know u2 style lyrics that sort of seem deep but actually don't mean anything
0: right <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm curious matt when a, a band like this is making uh it's writing lyrics that are very specific to the united states does that present any sort of a challenge in terms of getting into the music with regards to you know it's I would imagine back, especially back in 92 you know it's not like you could pop on the web and be like okay well what is he talking about with regards to this um I'm just like sometimes when I listen to a you know a band from UK or Australia and they're making cultural references I'm like I don't know what that means and I have to end up going like googling the lyrics of somebody's you know uh of some artist because I don't understand what's quite going on I, I just, does that present challenges
2: when you're um, listening to for- it Probably not as much because I think our culture is so influenced by what's going on with you guys anyway. So, you know, if I come back to the Megadeth song where, you know, you've got the first George Bush saying, read my lips and things like that, I kind of knew what all that was. But I can understand what you're saying in terms of the other way around. Well, yes, next they're, track...
1: way, they're way more informed
0: than we are, Tim.
2: That's basically what he's saying, yes. <laughs> he's like, we don't pay attention.
1: That's not a secret. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, well, so the next track, track five, Jesus Built My High Rise, is... I guess the track that is most well-known of all Ministry songs because of the amount of play that it got on uh, Headbanger's Ball, Alternative Nation, whatever the specialty shows on MTV. It was also, I believe, uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was NWO. Uh, One of the songs was a, like, went up against, oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was NWO, was nominated for Best Metal Performance at the Grammys in 1993, uh, Lost to 9 Inch Nails. Yeah.
1: Which is funny. Like, if I going back to, like, maybe, like, 1989, 1990, if I would have told my, you know, my friends that like this music at that time that those two bands would be nominated for <laughs> Grammys in the metal category, they would have thought it was crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because they would have thought of metal as being, you know, like, hair metal or, you know. There was obviously bands like
0: Metallica, but
1: they would have right. if I had, you know, said they're going to be nominated against Metallica. They're
0: like, what? No way, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I didn't know this the first time listening to this, but it's actually Gibby Hayes from the Butthole Surfers that's singing on this song. And, and the oh, story yeah, goes right. He's in the video. That, is he?
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot about that.
0: The story goes that Gibby Hayes was so um, out of his mind on whatever substances. He was on in the studio that they basically recorded for a long period of time. And then Al took all the tape and like spliced it up and and stuck it in where he could get where he could actually match up the performance with the song. But then it took Hmm. him like two weeks to do that. So what you're hearing is a very like pieced together performance by Gibby Hayes, um, which I only have one Gibby Hayes story, and that's that I was at a loft in some part of Manhattan for CMJ in 1996. And I saw him uh, at this concert. It wasn't really a concert. It was just like a loft where there was like a band playing in a corner and lots of industry people walking around. And Gibby Haynes was there quite clearly utilizing a a, a device to inhale some sort of smoke. And I don't (laughs) know if that was smoke was of the pot variety or of the crack variety, but he was definitely uh, enjoying his um, illegal substance at that particular party, which we left soon after. (laughs) Nice. So that's my, that's my, that was my sighting of Gibby Haynes in that uh, particular context. But uh, back to the song, Jesus built my hot rod. There's no question that uh, besides politics, I'd say like religion is probably the second most uh, important category of lyrical content for L this one having the more, you know, religious bent and, um, it's interesting that this song did well because I wonder if a song like this now where I, I'm sure we could consider blasphemy to even mention Jesus in any sort of context that isn't uh, you know, fawning uh, would get him protests and would get him kicked off of MTV. Yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> this song would be way more controversial now than it was then and that is freaking nuts because yeah. we're, there's such a huge fundamental Christian movement here that I, again same with politics i remember at the time i mean even ozzy Osbourne, and i mean there were tons of artists writing like anti-religion because there was also a lot of scandals with um, televangelists at the time mm-hmm. um, being exposed you know for ripping people off and there was a lot of different artists you know writing material about that and talking about that it was a huge topic and um again in a weird way even though 20 years later you think we'd pro- progress we've actually regressed i think this would be aspects of this record would be way more especially if it was i think this stuff would be so underground now you know they probably wouldn't hear much flack but if you imagine i mean you know mtv was playing this video you know it was out there and it was in this you know sort of in the pop culture you know atmosphere for a little while but i totally forgot uh, i just wrapped my thoughts on the song i totally forgot that um it wasn't Al singing this, because one of my notes on it was, uh, you know, I thought he was you know, pretending to have a southern accent, which was funny through, through the vocal. Um, the the part, parts about it that I think are interesting besides that is that uh, it definitely has a rockabilly feel. They mm-hmm. referenced Jay Lee Lewis on it, which is a really interesting element to bring to metal and industrial music. And the other part about it is you mentioned the keyboards um, not being, you know, really in your face on this record. This riff is built on a keyboard sequence, which is really cool. So if you listen really closely, you know, there's a synthesizer um, sort of pattern playing there that the guitar just plays on top of. So they're playing, they're totally locked together and it creates this really cool like thick riff that kind of bounces around and um, really propels the song. So I think those are the two things that really stood out to me um, as being um, kind of interesting about this now.
2: he says that they had this song ready. They'd spent 750 grand on crack between him and Mikey, pretty much, uh, and whatever other drugs. And uh, <laughs> they were getting pressure on the album then. And with the, they handed this song over to the record company, who weren't very happy, but managed to get it out to college radio and things like that. Um, and it then sold 1.5 million copies as a single, and that then allowed them to get another 750 grand for the rest of the album. So it wow. worked
1: out pretty well for them. <laughs> wow, well, I remember at the time it was pretty like I don't know what they were, I want to say revolutionary, but it was pretty remarkable. I remember the song being like not what anybody expected out of this band. You know, it just kind of like hit, and you're like, "Wow, okay, this is this is different." I kind of wish I'm not familiar with their material after this uh, very much at all. Did this. I kind of wish there was more like this on the record and I'm wondering if this is an area that they revisited
2: it at all later in their career. Probably not really. Um, The album's changed. Filth Pig was a lot slower, kind of felt a lot more depressing and heavier. Um, uh, uh, Dark Side of the Spoon got pretty much panned by critics, but I actually think it's an alright album. Um, But none of them... There's the kind of humor in the album titles and the song titles, but it seemed to ease off a bit, and then only came back again with the last few albums. It's almost like the the railing against George W. Bush brought back some of that spirit for him, and perhaps getting off a lot of the drugs as well.
1: I feel like looking at some of the later records, just looking at the titles, like they were struggling with almost being a parody of themselves. Mm. I mean, like, it's, it's like almost too self-referential. You know what I mean? Like they were too aware of who they were and what their reputation was, and they were trying to, like, at least with the album titles, kind of playing off that here and there. And then, you
2: know, yeah. And they did the same thing with the tour titles as well. So you've got the, you know, see you later and Sphinx tour and things like that. So, <laughs> 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 funny.
0: At least they have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some, bands are a little too serious and, uh, take themselves a little too serious, but, um, track six scarecrow. Uh, this is where the band slows down. Um, some might use the word plotting. Uh it's it's a bit of a dramatic shift from what we've heard on the previous five songs in the record. Um, it
1: sounds like industrial Led Zeppelin.
0: <laughs> That's one you way listen to g-
1: the drum beat, It's like do You
0: know, it's just like it
1: sounds like John Bonham. Somebody trying to play John Bonham on uh you know, uh, drum machine.
0: And it to me it sounds the way his vocal sounds on that song, um Sounds like a precursor to Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you guys hear that to me or not, or hear the same thing that I'm hearing.
1: But yeah, I, I mean, he- I think in that that point, I I one of my notes was it it sound it could be almost any electronic industrial sort of band from the mid '90s. The song, like you could yeah. me Mar- you could have told me it was an early Marilyn Manson song. I would have believed you. You could tell me it was a an album track from Nine Inch Nails. I probably would have believed you. Like it's a little bit anonymous sounding.
0: Yeah, and it, it definitely doesn't have the same uh, intensity and recognition that the way that the earlier songs do
2: uh, on the record. I think that's true. I think it's a song in search of an identity. It, it's almost the filler, isn't it? Really.
0: Yes. Good. Good word. Uh, it sounds and, like they they were like found that John Bonham beat and then just played on it for eight minutes.
1: Yeah, the eight minutes is kind of brutal.
0: Yes. yes. But then they get into Psalm sixty nine which albeit having a really long sort of i don't know intro with some nonsense going on for like a minute minute 20 something like that when you actually get into the the riff sounds a lot like some of the metal that's been going on for the last five to ten years with like mastodon and those kind of bands Mm -hmm. um i never thought of no, I'm not saying that they listen to the song, what, let's go form a band. I'm just saying, like, I never thought of ministry being sort of an influence on some of those, I don't know what to call them, modern metal. What's what's a good term for them? Because they're, the, they're not in the same vein of metal as, say, a Metallica or, um, you know, some of the thrash bands.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's a, t- a term that's been coined for it yet, but kind of alternative metal almost, I guess. Yeah. I right. I'm sure a term will mar- merge here soon. I mean, I could also hear it being like, not that I listened to a ton of this band, but kind of a slip y kind of band sound too in terms of the song, like with the big epic intro and then a metal riff. And I, I think also this song is very like, I like it. It's probably um, at the later end of the record, the my favorite song on the second half of the record, um, mm-hmm. other than Jesus Pulled My Heart Rod. But it it's kind of... Um, the formula for what they are like big long intro um they use uh, uh, samples for the chorus instead of a vocal for the chorus a lot of the times um a metal riff um there's a break at three minutes where it kind of opens up again and goes back to the intro and then it goes back to the riff um i just think that the, the the type of the way the song is written and the elements that are in it almost are you could you know you could lock this down as the template <laughs> least for this era of the band um for mm-hmm. how to write a song and it would it would work pretty well
2: yeah I, I think that's true i think uh definitely the songs that are my favorites on earlier albums play to the same formula so things like so what and um probably burning inside and things like that they're on earlier albums very similar and then uh on later albums again very same vein um for me, this is my favourite song on the album. I love it. Uh, I love that kind of delayed introduction, almost like that big build up before you actually get into the song and then you know, that that pause and the breakdown in the middle and then the build up and the start again. I, I love it. It's my favorite song for sure.
0: Well, one of the tracks that I'm I'm conflicted on is track eight corrosion, because to me it's a cool song. It just sounds overloaded with so much stuff going on that you know, they talk about how uh, as a kid You should listen to to music that your parents don't like because then that's like defines your generation. I don't know, you know, kids from the nineteen fifties were listening to rock and roll, and their parents were listening to Frank Sinatra. Kids from the, you know, eighties were listening to whatever, you know, metal, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, those sorts of bands, and sure, their parents weren't happy. I think if you were to put this, if you were a fifteen year old and you are put to corrosion on, (laughs) I think it would pretty much. Make your parents' head explode in nineteen ninety two. It's just such an oral. It's just such an assault on your ears. There's like sounds of like sirens and samples going on, and the big riffs and the drums, and it's just like this would be the song where I'd be like, "Son, are you on drugs? Like, what's yeah. going on?"
1: And, and that re- it reminds me of, um, you know, at the time I had a, I was in a band with a friend who loved this band and. Um, he had he would like write his own industrial songs and they would sound like this. You know what I mean? Because it would just be like he'd find a cool drum loop or you know create a cool drum machine beat and then he would just put a bunch of crap on top of it. You know, and just experiment and do crazy stuff and it would pretty much sound like this. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> so not only was he listening to music that I'm sure made his parents concerned, he was making music that would make his parents scared. <laughs> <So. laughs>
2: I agree with you. To me, it's almost a bit overwhelming. So you know, if you're listening to it late at night, this album when it's dark and it's just a bit too much. Uh, so it could either do with being a little bit shorter or being a little bit less brooding. I think.
0: I think if you pair that song with the the last song, "Grace," um, you've made a. You know, when they torture uh, people in Gitmo and they just like blare music at them um, to 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 get them to break down over time. I think if you just played these last two songs over and over again, I think you could probably break someone in about 15 minutes.
1: Well, think... Were they one of the bands that were used for that? Because I know one of the one of the bands is suing the government. Who was it? Oh, shit.
0: Well, there's a Canadian band that's suing them.
1: Yeah, who was it?
0: Uh, is it Killing Joke? Mm. Are they the band? Or Skinny Puppy? Skinny Puppy, those? I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's Skinny it's... Puppy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is so i i wouldn't be doubt I would not doubt at all that ministry was not used for the same effect <laughs> they may have very well used these songs
0: see I would be an excellent um d j for torture because I was like <laughs> <laughs> these these would make good torture songs, but this uh this sort of matches what we've experienced in about half the records we reviewed in the nineties, which is you have the Sort of experimental closing song. This is one where it's just sort of sounds like uh, it actually sounds like there's a, a a battle going on between several radio stations at times. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 barely a constitutes constitutes a song other than some like I think there's some crash symbols in there like. Choo, choo, choo.
0: I think yeah. it's a showcase of what you can program yeah so let's take a listen or let's, let's take a listen let's let's take a look at the album as a whole. Do you think it stands up? Let me ask that first. do you think this album both in terms of songwriting and then sonically, do you think that this album stands up?
1: It does. I think there's um, at least half the record here where I think because it influenced so much music, so much you know heavy music since then that it it sounds very to date. Um, minus a couple of lyrical things here and there. But I just think it was so influ- influential that it actually has carried the record forward. You know, that, that influence has carried the record forward to be, you know, still sounds pretty good now. So, for sure.
2: How about you, Matt? I certainly think the really good songs on it definitely stand the test of time. I think uh, if you're going to modernize them, you'd just get someone to either do some DJ scratching or some kind of electro behind it. And I think you, you'd immediately temporise a lot of those songs because I think Jay's right. I think a lot of what they were doing then is still being used today or people have learned from that and taken it forwards. I think um, I think Corrosion and Grace are probably, they, they just, they're songs of their time and they're songs to showcase what people can do with programming and the kind of loops and sampling. And um, I don't think they'd particularly stand up today. They'd, they'd be album kind of filler at best today Um, and I don't think TV2 really goes anywhere probably So on our
0: patented uh, rating scale of a worthy album, a better EP or a decent single you know we have to sort of uh, shrink the EP list number down because since it's a short record at 9 already um, I'd say if you're at 5 or more (laughs) because of the length of these songs some of them you're probably at, I would guess that would be a, a worthy album. If you're at less than five, it'd be an EP. So, Jay, where are you at?
1: I'm at five. NWO, Just One Fix, Hero, Jesus Built My Hot Rod, Psalm 69. Um, So I guess that, on your scale, constitutes an album. I, I struggle a little bit with, you know, obviously the classic feedback we have on most of these records that we review is, um, most of the songs could be shorter. Um, I think the thing I struggle with on this is that the repetition is part of the aesthetic. You know, it's part right. of the music. I still feel like some of them you could trim a minute off, especially with some of them that are faster. You know, it's kind of amazing to me that the tempos are pretty quick on and uh, several of these, and they still are pushing five minutes or more. Yeah, um, usually, usually fine with you know when you up the tempo, the songs naturally just get shorter. So um, you know, I'm at five, and I, I guess. This. they were trimmed up a little bit I would love it even I would like it even more but uh, I can take it as it is.
0: that's the same that's the same list I had actually so we're right on the same scale How about you Matt uh, so this you know this is a band that you have every album uh, when you're going back and listening to this are you are you playing every song or are there songs you're ditching
2: uh, I probably skip one of them one or two of them so it's definitely a worthy album for me uh, if I'm driving in the car, I probably just don't need Corrosion into Grace. I'd skip one of those, probably. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Scarecrow.
0: Cor- if you're uh, driving in the car, I hope uh, you're in a good mood when you're listening to this because otherwise <laughs> there would be some road rage incidents. Dude,
1: I was listening to it on my commute this week and uh, the other, uh, I think it was actually last night, coming home. I'm sorry, Friday night, coming home, uh, something happened with my, the Bluetooth controller whatever and Corrosion was on. And, um, it wouldn't let me fast forward. Like usually I can fast forward if for some reason the buttons weren't working. <laughs> and it just, and I'm sitting there on traffic and like I had my windows open and the sunroof open and I'm sitting there and i was, you know, I'm like, I got to get past this song. Like it's really, it's not only is it annoying me, it's probably annoying everyone around me when I couldn't get it to fast forward <laughs> and I couldn't pick my phone up cause I didn't want to take my eyes off the road. So I was like in a moment of like, I almost felt like, uh, I was being tortured. <laughs> I, was like, I gotta get to another song. Stop. I almost switched to just regular radio for a minute. Whoa,
0: you don't want to do that.
1: No, I stopped myself. I didn't. I didn't (laughs) do that. I just, I'm saying I considered.
0: All right. Well, that is our review and revisitation of Psalm 69, uh, The Way to Succeed and The Way to Suck Eggs, or uh, whatever that other weird title is that I can't pronounce. Um, Thanks, Matt, for joining us. Thanks for... uh, You know, getting on the Skype and uh, figuring out the time difference thing uh, made it a a bit easier uh, for us to uh, all get on board together. So, Um, and thanks for your continued support of the podcast. We really appreciate it.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Absolutely. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to suggest uh, an album for us to review, um, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com. And, uh, Tell us what you think we should be checking out, and if you liked what you heard, head on over to iTunes for uh, um, you know opportunity to leave us some some feedback on the on the podcast. And of course, you can always check out us check us out at uh, Facebook and Twitter and all those other places where you can chime in on our albums that we review and chime in on the albums that are coming up. So uh, that's it for Jay and Matt over in the UK. I'm Tim. We're signing off and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
2: Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.